ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Truth. I'm your host, the one you love the most, Niall Hassan, back with another episode here on The Truth. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be going over my fantasy football slash NFL week three Sunday preview. Hopefully you guys are excited. I know I am. Let's get right into it. If you guys are new to how this preview works, I'll pretty much start off by going with my, or going over, sorry, the last week's scores and basically going over some stats, key points, all that stuff. And then that will lead me into my three takeaways from last week. We will then focus on this week in our game of the week, two other games to watch out for, lock of the week, upset of the week, and then our fantasy portion, recapping my fantasy teams in the previous week. Too much starts, too much sits, two sleepers, two busts, and then our closure. So let's go ahead and take a look at last week, week two in the NFL. Whew, it was an interesting one. Let's start with the New York Giants hosting the Carolina Panthers. The New York Giants are 2-0 after a 19-16 victory. A lot of field goals in this one. Eddie Pinheiro, 3-for-3 three three on the Carolina Panthers side. And Graham Gano, 4-for-4 four four on the New York Giants side. Both quarterbacks did all right. Baker, 14 for 29, 145, one passing touchdown. The big takeaway for the Panthers in this one is Christian McCaffrey was finally getting going. He got over 100 rushing yards, could use some more work in the receiving end, but at least 100 rushing yards is a good positive step. Saquon Barkley, 21 carries, 72 yards, no touchdowns for him. He also had three catches for 16 yards. A good victory by the Giants. The Giants are 2-0, man, and they're playing the red-hot Philadelphia Eagles here in Week 3. That should be interesting, to say the least, but a good win there by the Giants. The Patriots win on the road against the Steelers, 17-14. Mac Jones, 21 for 35, 252, one touchdown, one interception. Damian Harris found the end zone, 15 rushes for 71 yards. And Nelson Aguilar, what a day receiving for him for the Patriots. Six receptions, 110 yards. And one touchdown. Jacoby Myers also had nine for 95. Mitch Trubisky, 21 for 33, 168, one passing touchdown, one interception. Najee still struggling to get the running game going, only 15 carries for 48 yards. Deontay Johnson led the way in receiving with six receptions and 57 yards. And then Minka Fitzpatrick had another interception. The Steelers, man, they don't look too great. The Patriots didn't look too great either, especially in week one. It was a battle of kind of two teams that just didn't look good. And the Patriots did get the better of the Steelers in this one. It's concerning if you're a Steelers fan because, A, you lost at home, and, B, without T.J. Watt, it looks like you're going to be struggling. And Mitch Trubisky is taking a little bit longer to settle into the play system. The Buccaneers beat the Saints 20-10 on the road. Tom Brady had a pretty good day, I guess you could say, 18 for 34, 190, and one passing touchdown. Leonard Fournette, 24 carries for 65 yards. And then Mike Evans led the way in receiving before he got kicked out. Three receptions, 61 yards. Jameis had a rough day, a little maybe vintage 2019. Jameis Winston, 25 for 40, 236 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. With Alvin Kamara out, Mark Ingram got the bulk of the carries, 10 rushes for 60 yards. Chris Olave, five receptions for 80 yards. He led the way in receiving. I was really debating about starting him. And Michael Thomas, six receptions, 65 yards, and one touchdown. Really disappointed if you're a Saints fan. I mean, you were in a dogfight. It was like 3-3, I believe, until they finally started scoring. Then you had some off-the-field stuff. Um, if you're on the Bucks side, you know Mike Evans getting kicked out and suspended for a game. If I'm a Bucks fan, I'm more concerned about Tom Brady. Um, Tom Brady is not playing as Tom Brady typically does. We all know there's stuff going on with his wife. 
They're currently living separately. And you can just tell on his face that he doesn't look like the old Tom Brady that everyone knows. So that's an interesting fact to note as we progress further into the season. Definitely not off to his best of starts, but still Tom Brady, and I expect him to turn around as the year goes on. The Jets win on the road against the Browns thanks to a missed field goal by Cade York. 31-30, Joe Flacco had a tremendous day, 26-44, for 44, 307 yards, and four passing touchdowns. Brees Hall led the way for rushing seven rushes for 50 yards. Brees Hall also got a touchdown, his one reception for 10 yards. The man of the hour, though, on the receiving end, though, was none other than the rookie Garrett Wilson, eight receptions for 102 yards and two touchdowns. And then an Ashton Davis pick to round out the defensive side. The Cleveland Browns, Jacoby Brissett, actually had a pretty good day passing, 22 for 27. Really good completion percentage there. 229, one passing touchdown, one interception. Rub my neck, Chubb. What a day on the ground. 17 rushes, 87 yards, and three touchdowns. Kareem Hunt did get thrown into the mix, too. He had 13 carries for 58 yards. Amari Cooper did finally lead the uh, way as far as receiving is concerned. Only three receptions for 17 yards in week one. Week two is a little bit different. Nine receptions, 101 yards, and one touchdown. The Jets, man, they're one and one. They're doing it without Zach Wilson. Joe Flacco put up actually a phenomenal game. And, you know, thanks to that missed field goal, the Jets are one and one. The Dolphins came back 28 points to the three that the Ravens had in the fourth quarter. They win 42-38. to What a day for Tua Tagovailoa. 36 for 50, 469 yards, six passing touchdowns, and two interceptions. Raheem Mostert, 11 rushes, 51 yards, and then receiving. What a day. Tyreek Hill, 11 for 190 and two touchdowns. Jalen Waddle, 11 for 171 and two touchdowns. Mike Kosecki also got a touchdown, too. Really good game for the offense as far as the Dolphins are concerned. On the flip side, the Ravens had a really good game up until the fourth quarter. 21 for 27, sorry, 21 for 29, 318, three passing touchdowns, zero interceptions. Also ran for nine rushes, 119, and one touchdown. I do believe he ran for like a 70-yard touchdown. I might be mistaken on that. But that really goes to show how bad the running game is for the Ravens because the next leading rusher was uh, Justice Hill, who had three carries for 16 yards. Rashad Bateman, four receptions, 108, one touchdown. Mark Andrews got going, nine receptions, 104, and one touchdown. Honestly, I did say, oh, and then Marcus Williams had two uh, interceptions as well. I did say whoever was going to win this game was going to have a better running game, and the Dolphins for sure had a better running game, even though it was completely uh, Tua's offense and you know his passing was the reason why they had success. But the Ravens, man, especially was trying to be a basically run-heavy team, they really got to work on that running game because having your technically best running back run for 16 yards is very concerning. The Lions beat the Commanders at home 36-27. to There's a lot of hype surrounding the Detroit Lions this year, and respectively so. Carson wins 30 for 46, 337, three passing touchdowns, one interception. Gibson had a really rough day running the football, 14 rushes for 28 yards. He did get a touchdown, though. Curtis Samuel, seven receptions, 78 yards, and one touchdown, the leading receiver there. On the flip side for the Detroit Lions, what a day for Jared Goff, 20 for 34, 256 yards, four passing touchdowns. Their leading rusher, ironically enough, was Amon Ron St. Brown, two rushes for 60, 68 yards. DeAndre Swift, only five rushes for 56 yards. Jamal Williams, 12 rushes for 53 yards. On top of the rushing yards for Amon Ron St. Brown, he also had nine receptions for 116 and two touchdowns. 
What a day from Monron St. Brown. Will Harris does get a takeaway in this one, too. The Lions, man, they're one and one They play my Vikings next weekend as a Vikings fan. I'm actually pretty concerned for that game just because the Lions look good. I mean, I don't know if Hard Knocks just made them a better team, but they look really freaking good. The Jaguars shut out the Colts at home 24-0. On the, on the Colts side, 16 for 30, 195, and three interceptions for um, Matt Ryan. That's not really going to cut it. Nine rushes, only 54 yards for Jonathan Taylor. And their leading receiver was Ashton Doolin. Five receptions, 79 yards. What a difficult day for the Colts. Trevor Lawrence, though, had a good day. 25 for 30, 235, and two passing touchdowns. James Robinson, 23 for 64. Christian Kirk, six receptions, 78 yards, and two touchdowns. Andre, Andre Sisko and Devin Lloyd both had interceptions for the Jags. Oh, and then also uh, Rashawn Jenkins as well. So... 24-0, man. Look at the Jaguars. Go, Jaguars, go. The Falcons traveled to the Rams to take on the Rams. I should say they traveled to L.A. to take on the Rams. 31-27 loss for them. Marcus Mariota, 17-26. for 26. 196 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Cordero Patterson definitely struggled a bit. 10 rushes for 41 yards. Had no receiving um, stats whatsoever. Kyle Pitts has really been struggling. Two receptions at 19 yards. Drake London, 8 for 86, one touchdown. He had his breakout game. The big key for the Falcons in the offensive side, at least, is to really get that running game going, or I should say receiving game with Cordero Patterson going. Because when they have success, I feel like their offense just runs through Cordero, and they're able to do so much more things, you know, by you know running that successful offense. And with them not being able to do so, it's definitely concerning to see how that's going to be um, – you know, received, I guess, as far as, you know, play is concerned. The Rams on the flip side, Matthew Stafford, 27 for 36, 272, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions. Cam Akers finally got going, 15 rushes for 44 yards. Cooper Cup, another phenomenal week, 11 receptions, 108, 108 and two touchdowns. Tyler Higby, 7 for 71. It looks like Tyler Higby is going to be the number two option for Matt Stafford. So I can finally use the Tyler Higby train for those of loyal nation, or I guess loyal to truth, the truth nation. Know how big I was on Tyler Higby oh so long ago. But a good win there by the Rams. It wasn't pretty, but they got the job done, and that's all that matters. The Niners hosted the Seahawks. They win 27-7. They lose their starting quarterback, Trey Lance, for the year with a broken ankle, I believe, or an MCL tear, something with the ankle. Geno Smith didn't have too bad of a game, 24 for 30, 197, and one interception. The big concern for the Seahawks in this one was zero running game. They had a total of like 36 rushing yards. Rashad Penny, only 15 of those. Really disappointing there. Tyler Lockett, 9 for 107, DK, 4 for 35. Really disappointing to see that offense struggle, um, especially after a good win against the Broncos in Week 1. Jimmy G, when he came in, 13 for 21, 154, and one touchdown. Jeff Wilson filling in for the injured. Who was the running back that got injured for the? Can't think of his name right now, but he's filling in, 18 for 84. Debo, four rushes for 53 yards. Debo also five catches for 44 yards. And then the one interception was Traverius Ward. The Seahawks do lose a close one. 49ers, man, they're out with their uh, with Trey Lance. How is Jimmy G? Is he going to bring them back to the promised land? I guess only time will tell. The Broncos won a really scrappy game against the Texans. They were losing 9-6 to in the fourth quarter. 
They came back and won. Davis Mills, 19 for 38, 177, no passing touchdowns, no interceptions. Damian Pierce, you know, Lovey Smith said early in the week that he wants to get Damian Pierce going. 15 rushes for 69 yards. Brandon Cooks, 4 for 54. Interesting game for the Texans. You know, they were playing field goals pretty much all game long. Russell Wilson had a difficult day throwing accuracy-wise, 14 for 31. 219, one touchdown and one interception. 15 rushes for 75 yards for Jamal Javante Williams. 10 rushes for 47 yards for Melvin Gordon. Cortland Sutton finally got going. Seven receptions for 122 yards. Those receiving yards really came late in the second half. Good to see, though, the Broncos do pull out a win. Broncos look a little bit iffy to start the year, but, hey, there's a lot of growing pains, especially when you bring a new quarterback, a new franchise quarterback into the mix. The Cardinals won one of the craziest games against the Raiders, 29-23. Kyler Murray, unbelievable game. I mean, you saw the two-point conversions. If you haven't, go check those out. Making plays, ended up getting a touchdown with zero seconds left. Got the two-point conversion, absolutely threaded the needle. And then the uh, Cardinals win in overtime when Hunter Redfro is falling in Isaiah Simmons. Knocks the football out and takes it to the house. But Kyler Murray, 31 for 49, 277. One touchdown, one interception. Daryl Williams, sorry, eight rushes for 59 yards. James Conner, seven for 25. Zach Ertz led the way for receiving eight, re- eight receptions for 75 yards. Very interesting game on the flip side for the Cardinals. I mean, wasn't too much going on. Um, the running game really was just non-existent. Derek Carr, 25 for 39, 252, two touchdowns. Josh Jacobs, 19 for 69. And then receiver-wise, Mac Hollins, five receptions for 66 yards. Darren Waller, six for 50 and one touchdown. Devontae Adams, only two receptions for 12 yards and a touchdown. Very good defense there by the Cardinals, only holding Devontae Adams to two catches on the day. But the Cardinals do win a good one on the road. Cowboys taking on the Bengals. The Cowboys win with Cooper Rush at home, 20-17. 1-0 with Cooper Rush, 0-1 with Dak Prescott. Joey Burrow, 24 for 36, 199, and one passing touchdown. Better than his four-interception performance in Week 1. Joe Mixon, 19 for 57. Rushing, T. Higgins, six receptions, 71 yards, and one touchdown. Cooper Rush, 19 for 31, 235, one touchdown, zero interceptions. Zeke, 15 rushes, 53 yards. Tony Pollard had a rushing touchdown. Nick Brown, sorry, I always say Nick. It's Noah Brown, five receptions, 91 yards. And a touchdown, a really good win by the Cowboys. And now the Cowboys go into this Monday night football matchup in week three against the Giants. And honestly, I don't know how this is going to go. I mean, I would say, you know, the Giants would probably get whooped, but the Giants are 2-0. and The Cowboys are 1-0 with Cooper Rush this season. It's going to be a good one there in Monday night football. And taking a look at our Sunday night game, it was the Bears playing on the Packers, on the road against the Packers, 27-10 L. Justin Fields. 7 for 11, 70 yards, and one interception. Time of possession was definitely on Green Bay's side. David Montgomery did come alive. 15 rushes, 122. Uh, Ike Juan Namelius, St. Brown, did not say that right. Really didn't try. Leader receiver, two receptions for 39 yards. Aaron Rodgers, 19 for 25, 234, two touchdowns. But it was definitely the running attack. They ran the ball 38 times, and that is really going to take a lot of time with you. 15 rushes for 132 and a touchdown for Aaron Jones rushing. He also had three for 38 and one receiving touchdown. A.J. Dillon had 18 carries for 61 yards and a good Green Bay Packers win. 
I mean, the, Brown, the Bears aren't that good, but it was a really dominant performance by the Packers, especially running the football and kind of showcasing what they're able to do without Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers' old boyfriend. My Vikings get crushed on Monday Night Football against the Eagles, 24-7. Kirk Cousins, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me just take a quick moment to talk about Kirk Cousins because this is the most talked about discussion. And all of, Okay, we get it. Kirk Cousins can't win a primetime game, a Monday Night game, whatever you want to call it. Big deal, okay? But when Kirk Cousins has one bad game, everybody just shanders him, throws him to shame, shame on you, whatever. Joe Burrow, for example, threw four interceptions in week one, and people weren't nearly concerned about him. Let's just point that out there. But I do understand, you know, Kirk Cousins is not a big primetime performer. I get that. But also at the same time, that's why football is played on Sundays and not Mondays. So maybe that's why Kirk Cousins isn't good on primetime games. I always say this. If I'm not worried about Kirk Cousins as a diehard Vikings fan, there's no reason why you should be worried about Kirk Cousins. But 27 for 46, 221, one touchdown, three interceptions. It also sucks that the the Vikings running game was not effective. Uh, When Kirk Cousins is your leading rusher, there's really an issue. Two rushes for 20 yards, Dalvin Cook, six for 17. Adam Thielen, four receptions for 52 yards. Jefferson really couldn't get going. Really interesting game for the Vikings. The Eagles, though, Jalen Hurts is having fun. 26 for 31, 333 yards. One passing touchdown, one interception on the on the game for him. Miles Sanders, 17 rushes, 80 yards. Jalen Hurts, 11 rushes, 57 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Goddard led the way, five receptions, and 82 yards. Receiving. And then the final game of the week, the Titans taking on the Bills on the road. The Bills absolutely like demolished the Titans. I mean, they scored 41 points with like four minutes left in the third quarter to the point where they put in their subs very early. Tannehill, 11 for 20, 117, two interceptions. Derrick Henry, 13 rushes for 25 yards. Flipside Buffalo, 26 for 38 for Josh Allen, 317 and four touchdowns. James Cook, 11 rushes, 53 yards for him. Stephon Diggs was the main factor in this one. 12 receptions, 148 and three touchdowns. What an interesting game for the Bills. The Bills look like the team to beat, and that is your Week 2 recap. Let's go ahead and look forward into Week 3. So before we hop into Week 3 and previewing that, I did realize that I forgot to talk about my three takeaways from last week. So let me go ahead and give you guys a quick rundown on those. The first one is the Bills look unstoppable. I mean, they won on the road against the Rams 31-10. A lot of people were kind of like, okay, you know, the Rams just coming off the Super Bowl maybe a little bit of a hangover effect, playing the first game of the year. You know, it just might have been a fluke. But then they played Tennessee and absolutely destroyed them, 41-7 to in the third quarter. Josh Allen looked unbelievable. The defense was there. And honestly, those two teams are really good. I know the Titans are, you know, 0-2 right now, going through a rough patch. The Rams are now 1-1. But those are two really good teams. And it doesn't seem to end there. They're facing the Dolphins this week. And really, at this rate, the way that they played the last two games, their first two games of the season, they might honestly not lose a game this year. Now, they will lose a game. Like, I understand that part. But the way they're playing is just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm really excited to see where this is going to end up and how unstoppable the Bills are going to be moving forward. Brady looks rough. Now, I've mentioned this previously. Um, You know, he's dealing with the situation with his wife, which knowing Tom Brady, I feel like that wouldn't affect him. But... 
you never know what's going on internally inside Tom Brady's mind because there's a lot going on for the 45 or 100-year-old quarterback going on. But he just looks rough. I mean, Tom Brady has always played a game where he likes to hand the football off, maybe some play-action passing, you know, whatever. But recently it's just almost like he seems in a way he's trying to just get out, like finish the season and be done with it. And, again, there can be various factors for that, you know, having um, an issue like that off the field can, you know, cause health issues and anxiety and all that stuff. You even saw he was he threw a tablet, I believe, or it was something uh, in frustration, and he basically, you know, there's a lot going on in his life. But anyways, you think of Tom Brady being this stone-cold guy and really something like that being significant but not really impacting him, and it's really shown to impact him, especially as of late. And that might overall lead to him looking rough and him having a hard time, you know, throwing the football. He was a top fantasy quarterback. He's one of the worst right now. And a fantasy and NFL similar and not in the same way. I'm just using that as an example. So Brady looks rough, and the and the Buccaneers do need him, especially this week. You know, Chris Godwin and Julio Jones, I believe, will be back from injury. Um, you know, Mike Evans being suspended. He needs to step in and, and be Tom Brady that we know him to be. And obviously he's got the age, but I really don't think age is a factor because he won a Super Bowl like two years ago at age 43 and is doing just fine. So that's something to keep an eye on, but I do think as you know, time goes on, he'll start to pick it up more and, and have success. And then finally, the Colts are a lost cause, at least right now. I mean, you tied week one of the Texans. You were down 20-3 to three in the fourth quarter, I believe. That's ridiculous as of itself. And then you get shut out by the Jaguars, 24-0. I do think, um, especially if they lose this week, it might be time to fire Frank Wright. I've really not been a big fan of firing coaches in season, but with so much potential, I, I shouldn't even say there's so much potential because the Colts in reality aren't really that good. They just have Jonathan Taylor. Matt Ryan's kind of washed up. Everyone knows that. Pittman's kind of showcasing himself. But the defensive side, there's a lot of question marks. And even on the offensive side, Pittman's like the only receiver on that team. The Colts just look like a lost cause this year, and it might be time for a new change or just completely rebuilding. I, I don't like pressing the panic button in week two, but if you tie against two of the worst teams, arguably in football, in the Texans, and then you lose to the Jaguars, you're really in a tough situation, and I don't really know how that is going to, you know, basically how that's going to lead to different amounts of success. But enough in the past. Let's go ahead and preview this week in the NFL. The Bills taking on the Dolphins on the road. Both teams 2-0 in the AFC East Division. The Bills, you know, it's going to be a difficult test again, playing on the road against a divisional rival, especially with the way Tua has been playing. Mike McDaniels, his first two games in the NFL, two wins. Guess who? Tom Brady and John Harbaugh. So you got pretty good company um, beating them in your first two games as a head coach. But another chess, Sean McDermott, he's been there for a good amount of time with Buffalo. The Bills look really good, like I mentioned. Not only on the offensive side, everybody knows what Josh Allen's capable of doing. But on the defensive side as well, I mean, Von Miller along that defensive side, Micah Hyde, a really good defense that's really shut down some premier players. And, you know, a player like Derrick Henry, a good run defense. Now, having a good run defense isn't going to be vital in this one because the Dolphins don't really run the football. The big question mark in this one is how are the safeties going to play for the Buffalo Bills and are they going to be able to match the basically high-flying wide receivers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, both wide receivers, had, I believe, over 170 yards, two touchdowns, and 11 receptions. It was ridiculous, the amount of numbers. It was like video game numbers that the wide receivers, and even Tua was putting up. The one thing I'd say for Tua to fix, if there's anything from his last game, is just those two takeaways. Because in a game like this, it's going to ultimately be a shootout, and it's probably going to end up being that way. 
having that one or two takeaways, you know, taken back. And if, you know, the Buffalo Bills are able to get those one or two takeaways, that could itself be the difference in this game. And it could be a matter of who has more possessions that ultimately wins. But nonetheless, it's going to be a very good game. I'm going to go with the Bills winning this one 42 to 38. It wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins win, but the Bills just are too good right now. If they are going to lose the game anytime soon, it's going to be this one against Miami. Two other games to watch out for. The Packers taking on the Buccaneers. Now, last year, this game would have been like must-see TV, probably Sunday Night Football, whatever. This year, it's a little bit of a different case scenario. Tom Brady for the Bucs has obviously been struggling. struggling. Mike Evans isn't going to be there. Um, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones should be back. On the flip side for the Packers, they're still trying to find their identity with a new-look Aaron Rodgers team. Lazard should be getting thrown into the mix a little bit more. Their running game is really solid. The Buccaneers got a good defense, though. And honestly, the Packers don't have too bad of a defense either. How is this game going to go? I really don't know. Because in part of me wants to say it's going to be high scoring just because it's two of the best quarterbacks of all time. But most of me is saying it's going to be low scoring because, like, again, it's Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, who Tom Brady's struggling right now. And Aaron Rodgers really doesn't have anybody to throw to. I do think it's going to be a defensive-minded game. I do believe this game is going to be a 20-13 to game. I am going to give the edge to the Buccaneers, though. I do think the Buccaneers are going to pull away with this one. I think both running backs are going to struggle a little bit just because the running game going up against the Bucks' run defense is not necessarily you know most fun or a lot of fun for most running backs. But the Packers are going to put up a good fight. I think the more weapons Tom Brady has and trying to get back into the swing of things is ultimately going to be the deciding factor in why the Buccaneers do win this one. But it should be a good game nonetheless. And it's also probably going to be the last time that these two quarterbacks ever face off with each other unless they meet again in the playoffs. And then my other game to watch out for is the Rams traveling to Arizona. Both teams 1-1 one one in the NFC West division. I believe it's a four-way tie right now in the NFC West. I believe every team is 1-1, one one, if I'm not mistaken. This is going to be an interesting game, though. You guys know how I feel about the Cardinals. I'm not really a big fan of them. It's kind of one of those things that they really need to show me that they're capable of being a really Super Bowl-caliber team. I understand DeAndre Hopkins is not in you know, right now, and you did lose Christian Kirk in the offseason. But it comes to a point where you have your number one overall pick, Kyler Murray, not really being able to take the Cardinals anywhere as far as playoffs are concerned. And the defense, on the defensive side, you have some good players. You have Chandler Jones on the edge, which is definitely a vital player. Buda Baker at the safety position. You got the weapons you need on the defensive side. On the offensive side, you know, the same thing can be argued. You also have Isaiah Simmons, who I forgot to mention, who's a beast and won the single-handedly won the game for the Cardinals last year. Last season, last game. But James Conner really gets needs to get thrown into the mix. I know he's been doing some injuries, so he's questionable in this one. Kyler Murray just got, has to be vintage rookie Kyler Murray. I mean, that's the bottom line because when you're missing wide receivers, you know, Kyler Murray is very capable of running for five yards every play. I think Cliff Kingsbury tries to go with a little bit different style and a little different finesse and, and not really focuses too much on, you know, the simple things and the little things and doing that accordingly. On the flip side, the Rams on paper have one of the best teams in football. Matthew Stafford's been struggling throwing the ball at the right team this year. He did have a little bit better of a performance, still shaky, though. The defensive side's phenomenal, though. We mentioned Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. And I really do believe the Rams are going to win this one, honestly, by a pretty good margin. I think it's going to be like a 31-17 to 17 game. I put this as a good day, game to watch, though, because it is a, a divisional rival, and it is in Arizona. And if I do have the Rams as being the better team, playing on the road is going to be a little bit harder and kind of assess the difficulty to a certain degree. But I do think the Rams overall on the offensive side 
and the defensive side are better. I think there's a little bit more question marks and uncertainty on the Cardinal side. The Rams are just better um, in, in everything. And having a good, reliable option like Cooper Cup right now is huge. I think that's something that Kyler Murray is lacking. And the Cardinals have not really done a good job getting the running game going. So I do have the Rams winning this one here. My lock of the week is going to be the Broncos home against the 49ers. This is the Sunday night football game. The Broncos have looked shaky, to say the least. They're 1-1. One one. They won 13-6 last week, and then lost 17-16 in week one. On the flip side, the 49ers, you know, they lost week one in the Mud Bowl uh, to the Chicago Bears and then won last week against the Seahawks, like 20-7, to I believe. But they did lose their franchise quarterback for the year in Trey Lance. So Jimmy G is back at the helm, which honestly I think is a good thing for the 49ers at the moment because Jimmy G knows that system. I'm not saying Trey Lance doesn't, but obviously Jimmy G is a veteran and has that experience that Trey Lance just doesn't have right now. And I guess it's kind of the process of building up um, and, and really getting your quarterback to be a quarterback, quarterback caliber player in the NFL. But in this predict, predictable moment, Jimmy G is definitely the better option. I do think that they need to get the running game going. Elijah Mitchell, I believe, is still out for an extended period of time. So Jeff Wilson probably will be the main back toting the ball in this one. But Debo Samuel as well. I feel like Debo's kind of... Last year, he was a really good dual threat player because he was getting a good amount of rushes and a good amount of receptions every game. I feel like his production has definitely subsided this year, especially to start the year. And when you're missing your starting running back, I feel like in a way you should be using Debo more. Utilize Debo more in the running back. Get him involved in some quick passes. Because that'd be great because I have him on my fantasy team. But in reality, though, it's one of those things that you just have to do because I kind of think of a similar situation with Cordero Patterson at Atlanta. A dual threat player like him is just so valuable and important to the team that you really just don't want to mess it up and, and don't want to have a, a sticky situation. So I do think after a period of time um, that, you know, when they're able to figure it out and kind of have a direction as a whole moving forward, there is going to be an area for more production from either side. I just think that now the Broncos are the better team and the 49ers have just some question marks. Jimmy G, though, is way better at the quarterback position now than Trey Lance will be, in my opinion. So they're better off with Jimmy G. But the Broncos are just a better team and they've been going through some rough patches that they're trying to fix. And so I think the Broncos do win this one at home. Um, it's going to be another low-scoring affair, probably like a 19-13 to 13 game. And then my upset of the week, the Washington Commanders went at home against the Eagles. I'm going for a crazy upset in this one. I think the main reason why I'm going to go with the Commanders here is the Commanders really have showed some hope. The Commanders are not playing all that bad, and people kind of want to hate on the Commanders and Carson Wentz, but in reality, Carson Wentz is actually doing a very good job for the Commanders. One of the biggest things that I was worried about with the Commanders was their running game, and their running game, at least in Week 1, was way better than it was in Week 2, but it's at least showing progress. You know, Carson Wentz has started off the year pretty good. Um, he has four, uh, seven touchdowns and I believe three interceptions. So, you know, could work on the interceptions a little bit, but overall, good amount with that. And I do believe that, you know, Carson Wentz getting familiar with the system is just a good overall thing for the commanders moving forward. I think Carson Wentz kind of realizes this is his last chance. It's one of those things like last chance to you where you're really kind of, you know, you're in your final position of whether you're going to keep playing the NFL or not. The Eagles are really good, though, and I feel like a lot of games are either a good matchup or a bad matchup. And so as far as this upset standpoint goes, playing a divisional rival, the Eagles have never really played well in Washington. 
Jalen Hurts is able to do what he needs to do, but at some point, same with Josh Allen, they cool down for at least a game. And I do believe in this one, the Commanders will win. And I do think they're going to be, you know, put up points. I think it's going to be like a 28 24 game. But I do have the Commanders upsetting uh, the Eagles in this one. And uh, yeah, that's my uh, NFL prediction. Let's go over to fantasy and then wrap it up. Moving into the fantasy portion of the podcast, I'm going to recap my team's performance last week. I went 4 and 1, give myself a pat on the back there. I was really excited. Some of my leagues, I guess not really some of my leagues, but one of my leagues, I scored 180 points in a regular ESPN PPR league. I was going off. It helps to have uh, Jalen Waddell, Aaron Jones lead the way for my team. But four and one, you know, I've always said, you know, week in and week out, I'm in five leagues, which for the record, do not do five leagues unless you're a serious fantasy football addict like myself, because clearly I have a podcast. So not necessarily, no, I, nec- I, n- I think I know what I'm doing as far as, you know, giving you guys information, but I love doing it too. And so having five leagues is acceptable and manageable and all that stuff. Anyways, what I've said is I've tried to win three games a week and go three and two. Because if I do that every week, I feel like I'm in a pretty good position. It's really hard to root for players because, you know, it's at the point now where I have probably at least one player in, on every team, you know, NFL team. And I'm going against, you know, every player on NFL, every NFL team in one of my leagues. And so... It's actually been good in a way where I can just watch, relax, watch football, and let the scoring do that, you know, take care of itself. But it's also one of those things, too, that is always fun, especially when it comes to the crunch time games, the Sunday night, Monday night, where I'm really focused and zoned in. Anyways, I went 4 and 1 last week. I had a really good week looking to build up uh, to my next week. The first must start I'm going to have in this one is going to be Tyler Higby. Now, Tyler Higby, you guys know, if you're loyal to the truth, you know I'm the biggest Tyler Higby fan in the world. This year, though, Finally living up to his hype. Um, he's had a good start to the year. Currently ranked the number seventh tight end in all of football, and that is something to be proud of. Last two weeks, uh, 8.9 and then 14.1 points, but the biggest thing I would take away in this one is his receptions. He's kind of emerged as the wide receiver too, although Robinson did get some playing time in last week's game. He really has emerged as kind of the wide receiver too, and Matthew Stafford has established a good connection with him. I think it's a good matchup for him this week. You know, it's going to be one of those games that I believe is going to be high scoring because Arizona doesn't have too great of a defense. And so if Matthew Stafford finally clicks and, you know, starts not turning the ball over, Tyler Higby is poised to have seven receptions, a couple, you know, good amount of yards and then a touchdown here or two. And I definitely think he's a little bit underrated just from his past that he's had, um, you know, in previous years, especially if I've told you to start him. So, that might be a little bit concerning, but I do think that he is poised to have a good week, and I would definitely start him against the Cardinals. I'm going to go with Adam Thielen, too, home versus the Lions, my boy. Now, I also said at the end of the year Adam Thielen was going to emerge as one of the biggest sleepers in this year's fantasy football class, and I still stay true to that statement, even more so now because Thielen really has not gotten the production that me as a Vikings fan was expecting, 6.6 and 9.2 in weeks 1 and 2. Three receptions and four receptions. And honestly, his four receptions last week against the Eagles were pretty much garbage time receptions. I think what the Vikings and Kirk Cousins are doing a bad job of is consistently targeting Justin Jefferson. Now, don't get me wrong. Jay Jettas is arguably the best wide receiver in the league. Or one of the best wide receivers in the league. Okay, whatever. But... What I do believe is Kirk Cousins is prioritizing Jay Jets way too much to the point where he's almost staring down Jay Jets every time he throws the ball and not looking at other options, which is bad for other receiving options, but it's also bad 
because the defense realizes, oh, shit, Kirk Cousins is staring at Justin Jefferson. Well, let's just go cover him because he's not going to look at one guy and throw it across the field to the complete other guy. Last year where the Vikings had success in the passing game was really they got both Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen involved. I like Adam Thielen in this week, too, because I think the Vikings offense is going to have a bounce back week. And Adam Thielen has always been a guy that's gotten reception touchdowns. I believe you know, a couple years ago he was leading the league in reception touchdowns. So I do expect at least two touchdowns from him this week. Maybe a little bit lower still on the wide receiver, you know, reception-wise. But overall, a good matchup for him with a crappy Detroit Lions defense. I'm going to go with Miles Sanders as my must-sit. Now, I did say Miles Sanders was poised to have a good year, and I do believe that's going to be the case. You know, 18.5 and then 11.6 points. But the Commanders have a really stout uh, defense as a whole and also a good run defense. And I think Jalen Hurts is going to try to prioritize himself, which isn't a bad thing, but... It's one of those things that, you know, leaves Miles Sanders out. And Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott have also been getting some carries too. So Miles Sanders might get the carries, you know, 13, 14. But he might be limited to yards and only give you about five or six fantasy points. I don't think he's going to get in the end zone this game. I really don't. Uh, The commander's got a good D. And, you know, me having the commanders winning, I think they have the edge in that department. And also, too, Miles Sanders just scares me a little bit just because, again, it's hard to play. Um in your division on the road it's not the easiest thing in the world and on top of that playing against a good team um, a good run defense is definitely not the biggest thing so i do like miles sanders most of the time just not this week against the commanders clyde edwards hilaire i'm also going to do a must sit now i do have clyde edwards hilaire and every week i feel like i'm debating about whether or not to start him he is the fifth overall running back but i do feel like it's a little bit fluky i mean he's only had seven and eight carries He's getting some receptions. You know, week one had two reception touchdowns. I don't know. I've never really trusted a Chiefs running back ever since Kareem Hunt, and it just scares me a little bit to start him this week against the Colts. I did say earlier on in the show that the Colts are a lost cause, but their defense is always kind of maintained at least somewhat. You know, there's only so much your defense can do when your offense is never on the field. I do think this week the Colts have a good chance of winning the game against the Chiefs, just playing at home and trying to regroup all that jazz. And I do think, too, that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for sure isn't going to be running the football well, but Patrick Mahomes in that offense is going to cool down a little bit. And it's going to be a rough go for him um, in, the, in the Chiefs' offense for the most part. They're still going to be dominant, but not as effective as they were in week one or really week two. I do think Clyde's, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a bit sketchy this week, and I would probably shy away from him going against the Colts. Alan Lazard is going to be my first sleeper, and I'm going to keep saying Alan Lazard is a sleeper probably every week until he – Finally goes off, you know, last week, his first game uh, back in the NFL, you know, after being injured, only two receptions for 13 yards and a touchdown. But this week, I do believe he's going to have a bit more pro- more production. One of the reasons why was the Bears really couldn't stop the Packers offense in general, but for sure not their run offense and the way that A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones were carrying the football. So Rodgers didn't have to throw, and if you don't have to throw – He's not going to throw. But this week, going up against a good Buccaneers run defense, I think he's going to be forced to throw the ball more. He's got Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins, the other Watkins guy, I believe, that dropped the ball. But Alan Lazard, besides Randall Cobb having that trustworthy connection they've established over the years playing in Green Bay, is your next man up. And I do believe he's poised for an eight-reception day, over 100 yards, and at least one touchdown. So if you have Alan, Alan Lazard in your league, I definitely recommend starting him. And then Devin Singletary. I never thought I'd put Devin Singletary as my sleeper, or one of my sleepers, I should say, in this week. Devin Singletary averaging 6.1 fantasy points, not really lighting it up as far as the stat sheet's concerned. But I do believe this week he's going to be involved more. 
um, Zach Moss, and even uh, the other running back I can't think of off the top of my head. Zach Moss, whoever the other running back is. For some reason, I'm drawing a blank. Anyways, um, he's going to be more, you know, productive in the offense. Sean McDermott knows that, you know, the pass catching running backs, he's probably the best one. Really, he's only gotten two receptions in each game, and I do expect that to go up more. And really, that's kind of the reason why Devin Singletary has success in fantasy is those PPR points because the Bills don't really run the football. And when they do, it's typically not with him or it's not really ran well. I do think the Bills are going to rely somewhat in the passing game at the running back position, and having that um, be the case is definitely a good sign for you know, uh, Devin Singletary and his fantasy owners there, and I do think a lot of people are sleeping on him. David Montgomery will be my bust. He finally broke out into the league, I guess you could say, last week, 15.6 points, 15 rushes, 122 yards. This week going against the Texans, who really have a good defense. Now, the Texans held the Colts to three points in the first three quarters, and then last week only gave up 13 points to the Broncos. Broncos have a good offense, too. You know, Russell Wilson at the helm. David Montgomery typically doesn't do well against good defenses. Look at San Francisco, for example, 17 rushes for 26 yards. I think people are trying to ride the momentum train of David Montgomery and say, okay, well, he did good in week one. Sorry, week two, so I have to start him in week three. I don't see that being the case. I think it's actually a bad move to start Derek uh, Montgomery, David Montgomery, not Derek Montgomery, against the Texans. Lovey Smith has coached that defense really well. There's a lot of good players on the defensive interior. I just like again think it's a bad matchup for him, um, and just I think a lot of people are going to be focused on what the week he had previously, and that would be a reason to start him. But I don't think this is a good week to do so. And then Antonio Gibson is going to be my other bust now. Antonio Gibson, <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with him. You know, twenty points in week one, twelve point one in week two. He's being more involved in not only the passing game but the running game for the Commanders, which is huge um, for the Commanders as a whole. But I do think this week going against the Eagles, the Eagles just shut out, not shut out, stopped the Vikings defense to seven points. Sorry, Vikings offense to seven points. Week one was kind of a fluke. The interior of the defensive line, I don't want to run through. Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, you know, one of those dual back uh, players on the team. I just don't think it's a good matchup for Antonio Gibson. He scares me a lot. Yeah, his first two weeks were good, but I've also owned him like the last three years of fantasy, and I know the pain that some fantasy owners have with Antonio Gibson. So I just want to start him. I think he's another bust and another disappointment this week. That is going to wrap up my NFL slash fantasy preview for week three. I hope you guys did enjoy it. If you guys did, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys share it with your friends. Maybe not people that are in your league so you don't get their, give me their tips and tricks. But make sure you follow the Twitter on Truth at the Truth as one to stay up to date with the latest information regarding the truth, including podcast dates, podcast uploads, and other important information of value you do not want to miss. Until next time, it is your host, the one you love the most, not Hudson signing out. Please take your uh, NFL pick I'm dropping tomorrow morning, Sunday morning um, at like 7 a.m. Uh, California time. Thank you. Bye-bye.